Oh, Father, we just want to fix our eyes on you. For you are wonderful. You are so wonderful. Lord, we come to bless you. Father, you're the desire of the nations. And Lord, we do desire you. Lord, we long, we long for greater and greater revelation of you because you are magnificent. You're unsearchable and yet it is our delight and our pleasure to search you out. Father, we worship you. Jesus, we so thank you for your, your sacrifice, for your love, for your great love. Give us strength. Father, let your Holy Spirit shed your love abroad in our hearts. Lord, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would give us supernatural strength to be able to comprehend the love of Christ, that Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and established in love may be able to know it, experience and comprehend this height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the love of God that passes knowledge. Father, we want to be filled up to overflowing with all your fullness. God, I thank you that this is your absolute will and whatever we ask according to your will, we can have. So Father, we ask it in faith. We pull on it. We expect it. Give us a fresh revelation of your love tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. I like to pray. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 10. Hallelujah. I want to speak to you tonight a little bit about the romance of God. Do you know, God is love. He is the very definition of love. We read about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's long-suffering. It's all those good things. But the definition of God is God himself. God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no record of wrongs. God, this God, he is love himself. He is love. And he wants us to experience this love. It is beyond the greatest love you could imagine. His love for you is beyond your capacity to physically or emotionally or spiritually handle. And yet he says, I want you to know it. I want you to know it in this life. And I want you to be so undone and so overwhelmed by it that you have to cry out for more strength because I'll give you more, so much more that it will overflow through you and the light of the world will be seen. This love is what he wants us to know and he wants us to understand. Hallelujah. And he speaks so beautifully. His heart desire is for us to understand that he looks at us and loves us. I want to share with you from Mark 10 this story. Mark 10, 17. It says here, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but one. That is God. I love it. Jesus was here trying to help him see who he was. The heart of Jesus was that this rich young ruler would have a revelation that Jesus was God. He's saying, why do you call me good? I could imagine him smiling. No one's good but God. 
He was just inviting him into a revelation. You know, there are opportunities God gives God gives us all the time that are just waiting to be responded to. He'll, he'll say things, he'll do things, you'll read something and you could keep reading or you could stop and say, that's an invitation into revelation. He wanted him. He said it deliberately. Why do you call me good? No one's good but God. He was, you could feel it. You could hear it in his heart, longing for him to see. I want your eyes to see. I want you to see me. Because if you see me, if you find me, if you could see me by the Spirit, then you will have life. Then you will know me. It was this longing in his heart. Oh, I really, really want you to see. But sadly, his eyes had scales on them. He says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You know, that stops me every time. He looked at him and he loved him. That's just what he does. That's who he is. Here's this rich, young, spiritual guy who has done his best to, to keep all the commandments and he is full of self-righteousness. I've done it. I've achieved everything. What else do I need to do? I've done it all. I've kept it all. And Jesus looks at him and he doesn't go, oh, you ridiculous hypocrite. He looks at him and he loves him. You know, God's got a way of doing that, where just one glance of his eye can communicate so much more than all the doctrine and all the teaching. If you could just see his eyes, if you could just see his love for you, you'd realize he's inviting me into a whole new realm. This guy was trapped in the, the realm of law and self-achievement and self-righteousness. And Jesus was continually inviting him. Why do you call me good? Only God's good. And he looked at him and he loved him. You know, that eye, those eyes, that look, that's what's wrecked me forever. God looking at me and loved me has changed my life forever. I remember um, when I was a little girl, my mum and dad were divorced when I was four years old. And he lived in another state and we only got to see him a few weeks a year. And, but he, he did come up to Brisbane. He must have come for some reason and visited the house maybe for 20 minutes and it would have been uncomfortable. Now that I think about it, it would have been an uncomfortable situation. My mum had remarried. And, but he came and, you know, I love my dad so much because I hardly ever got to saw him, see him. But in my, in my head, he was everything I wanted him to be. And so he came and so I, 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 I didn't know what to do. I would have been just in primary school. I went and got my clarinet and my little... Um, 
music stand, wobbly, you know, foldable music stand. And I brought it out into the hallway and tried to play my clarinet. Squeak, squeak. I didn't even like the clarinet, but I did my best. Squeak, squeak, squeak. And it was, it was just awkward. But then um, I remember we went down on the back patio, my brother and I, and my father, and my mum hovering around. And um, we only had a few minutes, but I remember he looked at me and he said, you have beautiful eyes. And that's all I remember. Because suddenly I felt seen. I felt loved. He loves me not for what I can do, but because I've got beautiful eyes. He could see into me. And you know, to me, that's a little shadow of how God feels about us. We're out there trying to impress him. Love me, love me, I'm trying to do good. See, I'm pretty good. I, I, I'm trying to do good. <laughs> and it's just awkward. But if he could just get you for a minute, look you in the face, he'd tell you, you're so beautiful. I love you. He looks at us and he has a way of undoing our hearts, of just absolutely undoing us with his love. I remember when uh, there was a move of God going on back in the 90s and everybody was laughing. And I just didn't get the whole laughing thing. I just thought it was a bit irreverent, but I was really hungry for God. And I'd go along to these meetings where everyone was laughing and having a great time on the altar and I'd just be crying about my sin and how bad I was and condemned and please Jesus, you know I'm serious about wanting to find you. And I'd sort of, and I'd be half judging all these other people doing their silly things and in my mind they were silly. But one day God got me. I was on the floor and I, I just turned my head a little and I had an open vision of the face of Jesus. And he was looking at me with these eyes that were so soft. They were so in love with me that I couldn't handle it. I just, I burst out laughing, laughing and crying because I, I, I couldn't even emotionally cope with what I was seeing. He was looking at me with the eyes of somebody that was absolutely in love. Jesus looks at us and he loves us. When you come to worship and you're like, oh God, well, you know, I haven't really spent much time in prayer this week. I'm, I'm here, made it. Here I am to worship. Oh God, I don't really expect that I'll have much of an encounter because I haven't really been pressing in, but, you know, I'm trying. But God's there not going, oh well, you know, if you had achieved more of a spiritual height this week, perhaps we'd be on it and you'd be having some glorious encounters with me. He doesn't think like that and he doesn't judge like that. He sees you coming in your weakness and he goes, oh, you're so lovely. Oh, you've ravished my heart. We're like, huh? 
because we don't comprehend that when he looks at us, he has more love in his heart than any father's ever had for a child. He has more love in his heart than any mother's ever had, any lover's ever had. He is love and you are the object of his affection. That is it. You are the one that he thought was worth everything. You are the pearl of great price that he sold all of everything for. He gave up all of heaven to ransom you. I want to read you. We'll come back to Mark 10, but I want to read you a passage from the Song of Songs, chapter 6. This is from the Passion Translation. It says this, Oh, my beloved, you are strikingly lovely, even in your weakness. When I see you in your beauty, I see a radiant city where we will dwell as one, more pleasing than any pleasure, more delightful than any delight. You have ravished my heart, stealing away my strength to resist you. This is God speaking about us. Even hosts of angels stand in awe of you. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist the passion of the eyes that I adore. Overpowered by a glance. My ravished heart, undone. Held captive by your love. I'm truly overcome. For your undying devotion to me is the most yielded sacrifice. The shining of your spirit shows you have taken my truth and become balanced and complete. Your beautiful blushing cheeks reveal how real your passion is for me, even hidden behind a veil of humility. God looks at you and he loves you more than you've ever understood. All the poets of history who've been in love with romance itself have not understood or even begin, begin to touch the depth of the passion that God has for you have begun to touch or even taste a fraction of how God feels about us. But it is available for us to understand. He wouldn't ask us to pray for supernatural comprehension of this love if he wasn't also willing to give it. That to me is an invitation we cannot, should not, must not resist, but we must give ourselves to because it is the highest joy, the greatest pleasure. And when you find him, you find everything. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added because you will have found the one who satisfies your soul. Hallelujah. He speaks it and he... He speaks it to me in so many different ways, but he is constantly communicating his love. You know, to me, every sunset is him communicating love to me. If you don't see it, if you don't recognize it, you won't enjoy it, you won't appreciate it. But God himself created that. He didn't have to make it beautiful, but he did. And he knew when you would see it. And he's hoping that you'll recognize just for you. You know, I, I, I like to go walking in the afternoons and you know, often a flock of birds will fly. and It'll just be like a special thing for me because he knows I love the birds. And I'll take it and, and receive it as God loving me. 
God, I love you back. That was lovely. Thank you, Jesus. Taking time to enjoy the little things that he does is, is a way for us, the entrance into this glorious joy of experiencing love on a daily basis. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. By learning to recognize that we give thanks not because it's an obligation, but because it's a love gift to us. As we begin to enjoy it, as we begin to see it, you'll begin to receive it. Hallelujah. I, even um, this month, the roses have been blooming in my garden. And there's a rose bush. My dear garden gets very um, little attention from me. Tom gets a little bit of time, but not much. And they still bloomed. <laughs> and we had this beautiful rose bush of... Um, in fact, some people, sweet people had come and planted it for us, which is why they bloomed, praise the Lord. But there were, there were blue moon roses, and they had the most magnificent perfume, and there was an abundance of them. And every time I'd come up the stairs, I'd have to stop and smell them. And every time I did, I could feel the romance of God. He created those. He thought about what they would look like, what they would smell like before I was ever born. And he knew there would be a day when I would enjoy it. And he did it for you. Hallelujah. So back to our rich young ruler. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. This guy was... Wanting to communicate on a level he could understand. He was wanting to understand. He was like, all right, I've ticked all the boxes. I've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. I'm, I reckon I'm doing pretty good. What else do I need to do? Jesus was so trying to get through to him saying, I don't even, I don't even want you to live in that realm, in that I want to bring, I'm here to bring in and usher a new day, a new covenant. I want you to see me. I want you to see my love for you. But I, you can't see it clearly because you are blinded by self-righteousness and the law. And so he helped him recognize in his response to the young ruler, he was helping him recognize the system you're currently in is an impossible thing to achieve. Nobody can achieve righteousness apart from faith in God. He wanted him to see his need for a savior. And yet this guy had no mention of faith, no mention of um, grace or faith. It was all about what do I do? What do I do? I've done this. And he thought he had never sinned. So Jesus just put his finger on the one thing that would help him recognize nobody's able to measure up. He put his finger on the one thing that he was identified by, and that was his riches. He said, one thing you lack, go and go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow, it, follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Some people... And scholars, many scholars actually suggest that this rich, rich young ruler was Saul of Tarsus. I have no 
biblical basis to say that, but it, it, in studying it, it looks quite possible that that could have been. But whether it was or whether it wasn't, it would be interesting if it was, because this one who had so believed and desired that he could achieve eternal life through his works and through his righteousness, then became the one who preached righteousness by faith alone. Hallelujah, in the great grace of God. Amazing, actually, if you think about it. But Jesus was trying to help this young man see, you need me. You need a savior. I want to bring you into a place where it's not about you, but where you and I get to be one, where I get to be your righteousness and you get to uh, find your life in me, lose your life. He was helping him recognize that without him, we can do nothing. Even if we think we're doing pretty good, your willpower will not be enough to achieve holiness. He thought he could do it. He was willing. I think if Jesus had told him to climb the highest mountain, he would have gone, right, I'll do it. But, ah, this was, ouch, you know, ah, that's tough. And Jesus was wanting him to see his own shortcomings, his own weakness, so that he would recognize his need for a savior. God was lo is looking for us to recognize our need for a savior. He wasn't trying to make things impossible for him. He was help, helping him see that it already was impossible and that he needed, he needed to find the way, the truth, and the life. He wanted him so much to see him. Now, God wants so much for us to see him, to recognize him. When God starts to put his finger on our heart and help us recognize, I want you to see that in yourself you can do nothing. But if you will surrender your life <coughs> and give yourself to me, you can do all things. I want you to recognize that the old paradigm, the old way of doing things is an impossibility all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in Christ, everything changes. We get a new heart. Under the old system, he just he thought he did, but he didn't have the heart to give up his life. But when God comes in and you surrender your heart to him and you become new, he gives you a new heart that has the very motives of Christ within them. Without the love of God, we can do nothing. It's, you know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14, that it's the love of Christ that constraineth us. I love it actually in the King James Version. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then, all, then we're, we're all dead. And that he died for all that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Hallelujah. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are dead and alive to God in him. We have been 
brought into a whole new day where we don't have to achieve righteousness. We have to just accept and align ourselves with the truth that we have been crucified with Christ. No longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. That he's given us a brand new heart, the motives of Christ. I don't have to try and find out whether I've got it in me. I just have to, by faith, believe it, that I have the motives, the heart, the nature of Jesus Christ living within me. Hallelujah. He came to set us free from the law of sin and death. To bring us into a whole new paradigm and that is relationship with him. Intimate connection with God himself where we wouldn't any longer be outsiders. But as the veil of his flesh was torn open, he made a way for us to forever be able to sit with him in glory, to be in union with him, at one with him, never separated, but fully and completely accepted. The joy set before Jesus, it says, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him was, (laughs) I am making a way. For them to be able to receive my love. For them to be able to commune with me and be forever at one in fellowship with me. That we could be together. It would be the culmination of the glory of the love story. So this guy went away sad and the disciples said, oh, that's tough. But I loved it. Jesus finished up and said, with men it's impossible, but with, not with God. For with God all things are possible. It was as though he was prophesying, saying, yeah, in this situation, under those circumstances, under the law, it is impossible. Hey, but with God, all things are possible. I'm going to make a way. I think of the, um, the woman at the well, you know, that Jesus had an encounter with this woman and in John chapter 4 and he met her and he did it again. He said, if you only knew who was asking you for a glass of water, he couldn't resist himself. He was continually just... Putting it out there. Oh, I really want you to see. I want you to know who's talking to you. I want you to see. And then he, he began to show tell us some things about her life. And she got really uncomfortable because he, she suddenly became aware of her need for a savior. So she changed the subject. And she started talking about, well, you know, um, I've heard that that you Jews say that you're supposed to worship on this mountain, but you know we like to worship on this mountain. What's, what's true? Because it's like, oh, this is getting a bit much. Too much, you know, yes. When God starts to reveal to us our need for him, our need for a savior, oftentimes people just change the subject and they want to get, you know, okay, well, let's just intellectually talk about this or, you know, uh, you speak religion. Okay, we'll talk about religion. Jesus in his kindness is a talking but he doesn't let it get away you know I believe he was looking at her and loving her and his response was so good 
He didn't even get embroiled in a religious argument. He just looked at her and he said, my father is looking and longing for the day when worshippers will worship him in spirit and in truth. He was communicating and saying, the Holy Spirit is going to open and enlighten the eyes of your understanding and the knowledge of who I am. And when you see me, your heart response will be spontaneous worship. And that's what I want. I don't care about these religious arguments. I am looking for a relationship. All the time when we start getting caught up in religious arguments, Jesus is there looking at us and loving us. And his gaze is so intense that it will make you uncomfortable. But if you won't turn away, you'll get a revelation. And that's a revelation that's not a one-off thing. He'll give it to you every time you look and linger. Like Joshua, who didn't depart from the temple after it was all over. I'm not letting you go. I want to know you more. Those will take time to turn aside, like Moses turned aside when he saw the bush. Those will take time to look, to look a little deeper, to keep looking to see. They will find. And when you find him, you'll see that he's loving you, that he wants to overwhelm you with his love. That he wants to ravish your heart. So your heart cries out, <laughs> I love you back, God. And then he says, oh, I'm undone. The littlest, feeblest efforts at worship that we bring him bless his heart more than we've ever understood. The, the littlest crumbs that we give, he takes and he values. This message is pregnant with invitation. Within every human being, there is a desire for romance, male or female. But you know what? It's not what you think it is. It is so much more. God wants so much to overwhelm you with his love. It doesn't have to be an encounter like I have or like somebody else has. God knows exactly how to speak your language. He knows how to communicate to you if you will just learn to recognize the invitation. God wants to speak to you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to reveal his love to you. If you would just begin to cooperate, the Bible says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. That's spoken also to Christians. He looks for us not to be content with what we think we know, but to go a little deeper. And to let him love you. Pray that the Lord will enlighten the eyes of your understanding and the knowledge of him. 
because it's only through that that you have the capacity to truly worship him. You can't worship somebody you don't know. But he wants you to know him in ever-increasing ways. When you come in faith saying, I can't see you, I don't know you, but I want to, he's there going, I'm going to take that invitation right now. Let me show you. Let me make myself real. Just like he did to Peter when Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my spirit, my father who's in heaven, has allowed your eyes to be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to recognize who I am. God wants to do that for you and I tonight. Amen? Father, we thank you for your mercy. We say, yes, Jesus, we want to know you more. Whatever you're longing and seeking for, God wants to be all of that and more. He wants to fill you to overflowing with all the fullness of God. In his presence is not a bit of joy or a partial fulfillment, but the fullness, the fullness of bliss. The fullness of delight. There is joy beyond your comprehension. There is love beyond your ability to comprehend. And the Holy Spirit wants to reveal it to you. Holy Spirit, come.